Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, whatever. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. Uh, give us a five star review. We'll read your review on the air. Uh, well, YouTube, join us there. I don't know the link to it. And patreon.com slash critics pod, the best way to support the podcast. And then T Public, if you go to ihatecritics.net, there's a T Public link up in the right hand corner. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, let's go to your guys' links. Sean, where can people get your movie reviews? Uh, you can find, uh, of course, the uh, archive blog. Uh, with all the stuff from the past uh, 23 years on uh, seanofthemovies.blogspot.com. And then, of course, there's geeks.media and horror.media for my most uh, recent stuff. And Jeff, where can people get your art or find you in the coming week? Uh, you can find me and my links at jefflasseter.com. Um, also, you know, come and see me at some of my some of the different cons I've got lined up. Um, uh, next weekend is Planet Funk Con at the River Center in Davenport, Iowa, the 25th through the 27th of August. Um, then the next one I'm doing after that is the Quad City Toy Show at the Rock Island Fairgrounds on the 9th, I think it is. Um, and then Midwest Monster Fest is coming up towards the end of September. I'll have more information on that once uh, that gets a little closer. Uh, but go go to my Etsy links at my website. Um, you can go to my T Public too. But good luck finding me because they suck again. <laughs> All right, Sean, <laughs> what can uh, what's going on in the world of movies right now? Well, we've been posting some uh, news stuff on our on our Facebook page. Everyone's a critic on Facebook, and uh, one of the things that uh, that just popped up uh, this evening while I was scrolling through Twitter was uh, the fact that Criterion has uh, announced that they're releasing the last picture show on on uh, Blu-ray and DVD, uh, Criterion Collection of that. But as an extra on that, we are finally getting Texasville. And this is interesting because we, we talked about uh, uh, doing Texasville on the show. We were going to do last picture show as the classic, and it wasn't available. It hasn't been available for uh, many years, uh, Texasville. And I really do, I've never seen it. I want to see it. Um, and I'm excited. I've actually already pre-ordered the uh, Blu-ray, which is coming out in uh, November. I'll be there at your house when we watch <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, talk yeah. about burying the lead on that one. Like, that's the one that everybody was like, holy shit. You know, I saw that today. They were like, uh, yeah, this is more important than Last Picture Show because we can watch that anytime. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fascinating, though, to see it is, it is just an extra. On the, on the last picture show DVD, so that that tells you something, I guess. Yeah, I I have no idea how good it is or not. I haven't seen it either, but I don't hear about the movie talked about as much, other than the fact that we couldn't find it that when we did the last picture show. I'm desperately want to see it, but I am I do have my guard up. I don't think it's going to be amazing, uh, but hopefully it. I get that same feeling. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe it'll overachieve. I have that same. <laughs> yeah, I really want to see. It. Well, that's the that's the main thing. 
so Lars von Trier is a, a sort of a figure on this podcast. He figured into one of our favorite moments talking about how, uh, you know, Willem Dafoe's confusingly large penis. Um, and of course, uh, you know, Bob had a, had a very interesting time talking about the house that Jack built. Uh, and to, to, to have that as your context, Bob, for this next story is kind of fun. He is, uh, he took to Instagram, uh, recently to, to basically ask women to date him. Uh, he says he basically says he's looking for a girlfriend slash muse. <laughs> I just i i find i find this to be a fascinating story. I mean, we've talked about directors being up their own ass before. Uh, that's definitely what this is. Not necessarily in the good way either. I'm just pissed that he stole my line from Tinder. Be my muse. <laughs> Let me draw you. <laughs> like one of my French boys. Maybe it is high, high level cringe to watch this. <laughs> it truly is. Watching a 67 year old man asking women to fuck him on Instagram is, is uh, wow. <laughs> it could, it'd be more cringy if he was doing it quietly behind the scenes in their dms so i guess yeah maybe at least he's up front of, he's always been up front about being a creep so yes. i mean maybe he's doing an art project and he's actually filming <laughs> this movie as he does i don't know he's collecting reactions exactly like this and we'll be in the documentary <laughs> Hopefully. you got us Lars. <laughs> Uh, uh, today's Ben Affleck's birthday. Happy birthday, Ben. Uh, do you have a favorite Ben Affleck movie? Oh, Jesus. Uh, Gili. Definitely Gili. I mean, the obvious answer is Phantoms, but uh, man, that's tough. Probably Gone Girl. Yeah, Gone Girl. Definitely Gone Girl for me. Yeah, you forgot yeah. about Gone Girl, so yeah, not hard really at all. I'm going to say Dogma. Dogma's a good choice. Love Dogma. It's right there with Gone Girl for me. Absolutely. So are you not as into Gone Girl as we are? I like Gone Girl, but I... just thought we were a little I crazy hate to, that year. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was one of those middle-aged white women who uh, like just watched everything about Lacey Peterson. And, you know, I was like, oh, I hope she's going to come home, knowing full well she wasn't. And, you know, like, so seeing that story, basically, I read the book and it was like, okay, I'm just, I'm literally just reading a fictionalization of the Lacey Peterson case. And then, you know, it gets turned on its head and I liked it, but it was like, I was, I just, the parallels to real life were just a little too much for me. Although I, it, it's an amazing movie. It looks great. It's so well acted. There's full frontal Ben Affleck in it for a split second, I guess full side, but it, it hits, it ticks all those boxes, but it's not my favorite of his movies or, you know, Fincher movies or whatever. Today is also uh, Jennifer Lawrence's birthday, and uh, you know, I think I, I'm looking back on it. I think I like everything that Jennifer Lawrence has ever done. Uh, no hard feelings is 
hilarious. Uh, but uh, for me, I keep when I think of Jennifer Lawrence, I keep going back to uh, Silver Lining Playbook. I think that one for me will always remain incredibly high on my list of things she's done. But I also just recently rewatched The Hunger Games. A friend of mine was just binging through The Hunger Games, and I was at their house and. Yeah, it, she's just amazing in those movies, and 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 really, she elevates uh, those from just being another you know YA action adventure franchise by being so present and so so real in those performances. What's the one we should do with Chris Pratt? Uh, that was great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe so Dark Fe- <laughs> like everything that she's ever done. So Dark Phoenix. I mean, I think she was good in it. <laughs> now we're just taunting Sean. <laughs> As it should be. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. Silver Lang's playbook is the one I go back to as well. I love American Hustle, too, but she's got a smaller role there. But she does elevate it in that small role. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I like most everything she's done, but definitely not everything. <laughs> Winter's Bone. also very good in Joy. Yes. Oh, Joy. Joy's awesome. Mm-hmm. Winter's Bone, like Sean said, is great. Uh She's real. She's she's rarely. I mean, I don't. I don't think she's bad, even in bad movies. Honestly. Yeah. Even like that. Was it Red Sparrow? Or whatever. Was she made yeah. watchable and. Uh, she was bold. She was unique. Uh, you know, she was challenging, and the movie just didn't meet her. Yeah. What else? Also. Going on? Also, uh, Asteroid City is out now for uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and streaming services. It's on Peacock. If you want to watch it there. Uh, and I highly recommend it. It's in my uh, top 10 of the year still. Uh, just all this long. I've got my full running top 10 on my letterbox. If anybody wants to find me on letterbox, but uh, I, I'm keeping a running top 10 for the year. And I was, I was surprised myself when I looked it up and saw, yeah, I've still got asteroid city, like up near my top five for the year. It's an incredible film. It's uh, maybe possibly my favorite Wes Anderson movie right there with the, uh, um, moonrise kingdom. But, uh, I think it's incredible. I hope more people get a chance to see it and take a chance to see it this week. All right. Anything else new that we need to talk about before we get to the new movies? Happy 20th anniversary to Freddy versus Jason came out this date, uh, 2003. Yep. One of, one of the best of both of those franchises. Uh, somebody said there's a, go ahead. I was going to say, somebody said that it, it takes the, um, I th- it was a contemporary review, I think. It it plays up the silliest parts of both franchises, and I don't think that they meant that necessarily as a compliment, but it is a compliment because, I mean, by the time that came out, Freddy had, you know, the only thing that Freddy hadn't done was gone to space, and Jason had gone to space, and yeah, so it's like, ridiculous silly and they played that up and you know a great cast uh you know that's one of my things with movies and it's something we're going to talk about a little later but if they don't if you don't have a good cast in one of those movies then it's it makes it not watchable and i think that freddie versus jason had a great lead and a great supporting cast i knew exactly what it was and it yes. delivered, and that's you can't ask for anything more in a movie like that. Yeah, and not, not that uh, Jason Voorhees is a sympathetic character, but if you're going to do that with the new characters, he's going to be the one that's slightly more sympathetic than Freddy, I would say. 
Um, but Jeff, I was going to ask if you had any art related to uh, Freddy versus Jason. Uh, not that one particularly, but I do have a lot of Freddy and I do have a lot of Jason. So I think you should go to my Etsy and you should buy a Freddy and a Jason piece and make them fight. <laughs> uh, any other news before we move on to our new movies? Uh, you know, there's the whole blindside thing. I don't know if oh, you've yeah, read about, about that. Uh, uh, Michael Orr, who was the subject of the blindside, uh, has stated that uh, much of what happened in the movie and has happened since has been sort of orchestrated by the Tui family as part of a conservatorship that they held him in and that they never really adopted him as they talk about in the movie. He was not necessarily the family member that uh, <laughs> that they had claimed he was. Uh, and in fact, they were using this conservatorship to to essentially monetize their relationship with him. And uh it's finally coming out after all these years of him finally trying to be able to monetize his own story because they monopolized it for so many years and seemingly prevented him from actually, you know, taking his own story and, you know, making money off of it. Um, it's really messed up. Uh, it, and to the point where the controversy has led to people questioning Sandra Bullock and whether or not she deserves to be an Academy award winner for that movie, which I think is kind of silly. I don't think it's her fault that the subject of the movie is is uh, a piece of crap. I think that <laughs> I, think, uh, I don't think that takes away from the fact that she was really great in that movie. She's a great actress and it's a really entertaining performance. I didn't think it was the best performance of that year, but I do think that uh, it, it made sense that that end up, ended up winning her an Academy Award. Uh, if uh, you take it like a typical Academy Award, uh, you know, as a cumulative <laughs> thing and a person's career then it made sense um <laughs> but i i did post a link to my original 2009 review of the blind side uh, it doesn't age well uh for me especially but uh <laughs> it's up there it's on our facebook page if you want to read it and i do stand by the fact that i think sandra bullock is very good in that movie and i think it's kind of silly uh to include her in this controversy yeah, the only thing she should be included in is the sequel when they cover the trial with her as the lead. <laughs> All right. I think, yeah, they definitely should do that. <laughs> All right. We have kind of a weak week this week uh, for new movies. Uh, let's start with Last Voyage of Demeter. 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 Yes, The Last Voyage of Demeter is uh, directed by Andre Overdahl and stars Corey Hawkins as a man named Clemens, who uh, is a doctor. He graduated from Cambridge, but uh, him being black, he was prevented from actually finding work. Uh, he then took a job somewhere in Europe until they found out that he was black, and he's been stranded in somewhere in Romania for many years looking for a way to get back home. His opportunity to get back home comes when the Demeter arrives uh, in port and is in need of crew. And uh, one of the guys that they hire for their crew dumps out immediately after he sees that uh, the cargo that they're taking in is from the castle Dracula. Uh, the uh, This does, of course, doesn't mean anything to the crew or to uh, Clemens. Uh, so he takes the job and jumps aboard as their ship's doctor and deckhand. And uh, from there, they've got a several week trip to go around the Horn of Africa to get to England. All the while, they've got Dracula in the hold and he is uh, feeding. Uh, throughout and uh, sort of setting up the crew as his uh, 
as his daily meal. <laughs> uh, the last this isn't this isn't a bad movie. Uh, it's not a bad movie. It's a it's a at times quite good movie. There's some really terrific violence in this movie. The use of fire in this movie is is exceptional. There's a couple of really gory fire deaths that are just kind of awesome, honestly. Uh, one involving a little kid that you really, I just really did not see coming. Uh, <laughs> that was really impressive. Um, I don't like that they kill a dog in this movie. That really bothered me. I really kind of wanted to walk out at that point. But uh, other than that, I, I liked Corey Hawkins a lot. I thought Corey Hawkins was incredible in this movie. It's a shame that the movie tanked so badly. He's probably going to end up in supporting roles the rest of his career. But nevertheless, uh, the, and then uh, the young woman who co-stars in the movie is, is really exceptional. She's got a very uh, complicated backstory and delivers a very complicated performance that has a terrific ending. Um, overall, yeah, I think it's good. I don't think it's great. I think it's quite good, and I, I'm, I'm recommending it. Jeff, did you see it? Yeah, I did. Um, I saw it Thursday night, and I... I'm kind of surprised at Tank because I had I went to the five o'clock show and it had quite a few people, uh, you know, for for a five o'clock on a Thursday it had a pretty decent showing. Um, God, what a cast! Everybody in it just was so perfectly cast in their roles. Um, you know, Corey Hawkins. I hadn't you know I haven't seen him in a lot, but I was just like, wow, he's so he he he's the smartest one there book smart, you know, but the captain between the captain and him, they know what's going on and they know what, you know, what do we have to do? And nobody wants to listen to him except for the captain finally. And I just, he just, he comes across as just so like, in charge and it's like sean said it's a shame that it did not do well because it sets it up for a sequel at the end and i would love to see him hunting down dracula in 19 or in 1880s great britain or wherever they go um the fact that it's on the ship and it's just based on you know almost just a line in one of the chapters of the novel dracula and it it you know what's to happen or what's supposed to happen what does happen you know that that's coming based on the very first scene of the movie but you you get so invested in the characters as they go that you're like well certainly they can't kill this person certainly they can't kill this person and they do <laughs> um you know, they do have a way of, of, you know, making sure that not everybody is gone, um, which, you know, like I said, as far as that goes, they having having Dracula get chased all over the world, even on another ship, um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe Corey Hawkins could get bit and be eternal like Dracula and chase him on a plane okay. or something. Um <laughs> no, it had a good sense of claustrophobia because it was on a ship and there's only so many places you can go on the ship. And how do we do, how do we make that suspenseful? Well, they did. Uh, the, I think the, the look of Dracula and the gore really got me going because I'm a big gore hound. Um, so seeing, you know, seeing the design for Dracula, which 
is similar to one of the designs in Bram Stoker's Dracula by uh, Francis Ford Coppola. And he has, mm-hmm. like, he turns into mist like he does in the uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula. He turns into the bat. He's, you know, it's just, it's, it trades on all of those tropes, but these people don't know what those tropes are because they're, you know, the only person who knows is the woman who was brought along as food for Dracula, which is. Yeah, even she doesn't know yeah, how to kill him. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't know. Okay, I'll shoot him. Sure. Well, that's not going to work, but they don't know that. <laughs> uh, what I love about this is that there's a certain element of like a like experimentation from the writers, like because they they are taking just this one small piece, a mention of the uh, ship captain being lashed to the wheel of the boat, uh, and that's really all you know about the the Demeter story is that the captain was found lashed to the wheel. How he got there is unknown, and that's where they kind of jump. That's the jumping off point for for this uh, sort of experiment. Like, what, well, what could have happened then on the boat that led to him being in this situation? Right. They came up with a lot of uh, unique ideas uh, to to get there, and I do think that Corey Hawkins does have some main character powers in terms of how he, you know, makes his way through <laughs> the plot. But there is a good deal of suspense because the story that we've been told, the story that we know about the Demeter is that no one survived. That is the that is the the lore, if you will, from from Ram Stoker's book. So you're looking at this going, well, if the book says no one survived, we're about to watch everyone die. And then a couple of characters you wouldn't expect to die, die. And you're like, oh, OK, there really is no one safe here. Uh, and, and that does work in terms of creating suspense. Uh I think there are elements that the movie could do better. I think Andre Overdahl is kind of a average director at best. Uh, he's a carpenter, not an artist. You know, he, he cobbles things well, uh, but uh, I don't think he's a, a tremendously insightful director or certainly not a director who, who gets to any kind of emotional course. Uh, I think he leaves that to his actors. And what Corey Hawkins does incredibly well in the movie is his character is incredibly rational. Uh, he believes in science and he's desperately seeking a way to explain this. He's not ahead of the Dracula curve in any way. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to believe that this is some kind of supernatural beast or creature. He wants to find a way to rationalize this and he can't. And that challenge to his rational approach as well as the cook in the movie who's not a big character but he's a deeply religious character who has another rationalization going on having both of their you know values challenged that's an interesting idea that i think if the cook character were more interesting or more useful uh that could have played out in a little bit more of a thoughtful way but uh, still the gore like you said is fantastic i looked up a few stats on it it was supposed to come out january 27th of this year uh, it's got a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, 52% on Metacritic. Uh, cinema score is B minus. Uh, so it and the budget was 45 million, and it made 11, I think. 6.5 is what um, I read. I it says get projected between 6 and 11. Sorry, I didn't actually look up. I'm at Wikipedia, I'm not at actual fact places. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, according to Box Office Mojo, anyway, which is not a great source anymore, but uh, 6.5 million opening weekend. Uh, the pro- they're projecting it out to maybe make 
uh, you know, between 11 and $12 million in its run, which is not great. Uh, that's not counting the international numbers. We don't know what it'll do, if it'll do anything uh, internationally, especially without having like a big lead. Uh, Corey Hawkins is great, but he's not a big name lead actor. Uh, so this is the second time this year that the, the, the Dracula character has failed at the box office. So Redfield failed at the box office as well. It's going to lose a lot of money. And it leads to a question as to whether or not Dracula is still relevant and if they're capable of keeping that character alive and continuing to return to this story. Well, they didn't market this one well at all because this is the first I'm hearing of it. <laughs> so <laughs> not that, you know, I'm looking at, you know, all sorts of movie stuff all day long, but, you know, I, I knew what Renfield was at least. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's... I would think something like this that takes it seriously could have done better if it was properly marketed. I agree with that, but also they are handicapped a little bit by the strike. The actors, uh, Corey Hawkins, David Dustin Hopkins, they they can't do any interviews to promote the movie. They can't, uh, you know, talk to the media about the movie. True, Uh, that did limit them in their ability to to market the film. Absolutely, I did hear. Go ahead. Well, I just I never saw any trailers before any movies that I've gone to recently. So like I do, didn't know anything about this prior to this episode. I did see a couple. I did see the trailer. I I go to a lot more movies than you do, but right. <laughs> which is something I never thought I'd say. Um but I saw it quite a bit and I I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, then I heard a, a um, Andre Orbidal was on a podcast uh, with Mick Garris the other day, and I didn't. I guess I didn't real. I didn't look anything up because it did. It just looked, you know, kind of silly and stupid. But I was like, oh, I like his stuff. I like scary stories to do in the to, to read in the dark and uh, or to tell in the dark. And you know, Troll Hunter was fun. Uh, not great, but fun. Um, you know, the Autopsy of Jane Doe, good movie. I, I was like, oh, and they, the re- only reason I heard that was because they recorded it before the strike, and I think that, I think the fact that you can't go on these, you know, like late night shows, you can't go on podcasts and promote stuff. That, I think that is a big part of why this movie tanked, because they, they couldn't promote it. There's no red carpet premiere. Um, you know, he taught Andre over. Uh, he talked about that. He said they had planned this really big New York premiere with on a boat and they, all, all the stars were going to be there. And they said, Nope, sorry. And so they canceled it. But I really think that with the proper push, it could have done much better. And it should have, I think it'll do well in streaming. I'm sure it'll be out before Halloween and it'll be a good, you know, Halloween movie that, um, people discover there, like uh, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Cobweb, and apparently, right now, that's the number one movie on iTunes or <laughs> Apple Movies or whatever they're calling it now. Um, you know, so it's like it; these movies can find a second life in streaming, but eh, I hate to see it because then you know it just spell spells the death of actual movies but they also make less money when they find on streaming too oh yeah on video 
you know, a lot of the movies would make their budget back by when DVDs and Blu-rays and whatnot. Now it's just like it just it still takes forever. Plus, I mean, maybe once the strike's over, we'll have stats. And mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, you know, according to Hollywood accounting, uh, no movie has ever made any money. So, <laughs> <laughs> good point. <laughs> How did Jules do? I have no idea. I didn't see it. Oh, we'll cross out the list and move on to our class. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, nobody wanted to pay me for that one, so I was not uh, interested in seeing it. <laughs> nice. Uh, our, instead of doing a typical classic this week, we're doing kind of a mini-career retrospective of William Friedkin. Uh We've done The Exorcist, French Connection before. I think we've even done Cruising before, but we're going to talk about all of those plus The Sorcerer. Uh, so where do you guys want to start? Well, um, I'll, I'll jump in and I'll do my usual you know, controversial thing of talking about how I don't like The Exorcist. I, I'm not impressed with The Exorcist. I find it to be tedious to watch. I, I don't like the performances. Um I, I just don't like the way Friedkin structures the film. I, I don't find it nearly as striking as most people do. I, I think the way that Linda Blair is used in the movie is more gross and in, like intention. It's like intended to shock you uh, in a way that I find to be like kind of edge lord, like early form edge lord. And that to me just doesn't. It didn't move me. Uh, it hasn't moved me a single time when I've watched it. You're wrong. 100%. I'm wrong about my opinion. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Very much so. I, I, I don't, I, I just, for the time when it came out, there just wasn't stuff like this. I love the way he freaking structured it. It wasn't, I mean, what I hate about today's possession movies is how they're structured. And I think he did a great job of making it, you know, hiding this horror movie in a drama. And slow burn took took care of itself. I I feel like if I had seen it when it came out, uh, I would be talking about it like everybody else does. And I definitely try to put myself in that position when I watch it because I do. I mean, I think it's every bit what Hereditary did. I'm sure that did the same thing when it came out way back when because nobody had seen anything like it. And I, I think that context matters with probably all four of these movies we're going to talk about, but. Anyway, Jeff. I, I, was, I wasn't alive in 1971, so I don't right. care. Neither was I. <laughs> but I do care. Well, it came out in 1972. Um, no, I, I, I love The Exorcist. I didn't see it until I was a teenager. I saw it on video. My friend Jesse gave it to me. And I, I guess I wasn't scared by it, but it affected me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing all the stuff I'd only read about was just like, holy shit, they actually did that. And when, you know, when she's fucking herself with the crucifix saying, let Jesus, I was like, whoa, I'd never even read about that. That was shocking to me. Um, uh, You know, Linda Blair, she put in a, a really good child performance and then, you know, switched to the demon. And I, you know, was just, really really good in it um ellen burston uh i wow i mean she really 
she really was there talking about her daughter and she didn't know what was wrong with her. And you felt that every minute that she was on screen. Um, you know, Max von Sydow is only there for a few minutes, but it's a really powerful few minutes. Right. Uh, you know, Jason Miller, he, I think it's, it's almost more his story. Right. Wrap, you know, wrapped in the bookend of the possession story. It's his, him it, struggling with his faith and his guilt over his mother and, you know, all the things that come up when you're, you know, late thirties about your parents and about, you know, where do I go from here? What do I do? And, um, you know, he, his performance was, you know, spot on and Jack McGowan as Burke Dennings. He just, he doesn't have much screen time, but the fact that, you know, what he does is really effective. Um, now it is it is just so close to the book that if you read the book, you, it's like watching the movie in your head. <laughs> That's how close it is. Um, but really, you know, Sean says it's tedious. I I don't find that at all. I'm I've seen it a lot of times, and I've seen it in the theater a couple times. I've just to me it holds up and it's watchable. I probably watch it once a year now. Yeah. And it's and it's still I can still watch it or have it on once a year. It's not t- to me it's not tedious at all. That's the French connection for me. <laughs> but I mean the French connection. Go ahead. Yeah, that's the movie. That's the movie that followed up uh the the uh the exorcist and uh Jeff and I are on the same page on this one. I have watched the French connection so many times and tried so hard to meet the consensus on this movie that so many people have just decided is is the greatest cop movie of all time. There's this weird consensus that fe- it feels almost blasphemous to say that that you don't like the French Connection. Uh, people come back to you, how could you lo- not like the French Connection? And I look back at them and I go, did you see it? Because <laughs> it's not that it's really not that entertaining. And I've had people tell me, well, you just don't have a a, a great. Uh, uh, you don't have patience for it anymore. Like you, you watch too many Fast and Furious movies or whatever. And I just find it to be, I find it to be tiresome. I, I don't the 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 chase scenes, the 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 following the guy around New York, the French guy around New York, all those times. Popeye Doyle is one of the worst cops in history. He gets made so easily, so many times during this <laughs> undercover thing that he's doing that he engages in the dumbest car chase in history that nearly kills a bunch of civilians and himself. And people go, that's the greatest chase scene of all time. No, they nearly killed people for real because this idiot mm-hmm. thought it'd be a great idea to film this thing for real. That's not impressive. Give me what Tom, what Tom Cruise did in, in Mission Impossible. That was not that was fully planned out and it looks fucking phenomenal <laughs> as opposed to this, this thing where they just slapped together at the last minute. By the way, this wasn't even in the original script. The car chase was thrown in because an executive said, well, you need a chase scene, throw in a chase scene four days before they started shooting. So this was not some organic choice to add to the, to the story of this movie. It was something that was mandated by, by their corporate overlords to put in it. So again, that's just another thing that takes away from the the supposed mystique of this movie. Uh, and I'm coming off like I don't like William Friedkin. I'm going to talk about a couple other movies later on. 
uh, that I think are absolutely fucking brilliant. So we'll get to that. But uh, this one really does nothing for me. And you know, when you get to that end and you see that Popeye Doyle fucked up everything, how does anybody reflect on the? Is it supposed to be that he's a fuck up? Is it, did I miss the point that this movie is about being the worst detective in New York who fucks up an entire case and gets innocent people killed? Yes. Okay. <laughs> did I miss the point? No, I don't know. I'm just making that up. <laughs> I, I, mean, I watched it for the first time. Right. Sorry. No, you go ahead. ahead. You're, you go ahead. Get I watched it for the first time last week. I bought it. Um, to watch and I had I started it but I wasn't paying attention to it or anything and I I, I ended up working on the Frankenhooker piece that you, you posted Sean because I was just kind of like um, I'm not really feeling this and I think when you talk about like the, the chase mm-hmm. uh, that it's the idea of how they did it that's the good thing about it it's not a good chase as far as i'm concerned um but it's the way that they you know oh we went we did it guerrilla filmmaking style and you know uh, i just was bored uh, more of that edgelord nonsense that uh, you know people see as as uh as brilliance you know it's that thing where the most confident guy in the room you know gets everybody's attention because he's being the most confident but he's not the smartest He's just he's yeah. just saying something stupid very very confidently. Like let's do this stupid chase scene where we've planned nothing and we might get our uh, our crew and regular people in the street killed. I think that's cooler than yeah. planning it out. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, I think it's back to when it came out. The context of that time, uh, I I always that's just something I like to do as a viewer is look at what came out with it, what, uh, you know, what people were seeing then. And and I'm sure it was somewhat groundbreaking or something somewhat new. Uh, I don't mind it. It's definitely overrated. I mean, really any movie that is that popular can, you could argue is overrated. I would still take it over most movies today. I really would. I, I understand what Sean's saying, but I, I'm more into, Again, I'm not necessarily into putting people in danger, but I'm into that look more than I'm into the slick stuff. Uh, but it's just a personal opinion and preference. Uh, I, it's not my favorite of what he's done, though. I do think it's a little bit overrated, but I don't dislike it. But I also don't go back to it a lot either. I find it desperately overrated. Uh, his next movie is one that is uh, has such an odd reputation, and part of it is because it has such a terrible title. What the hell does Sorcerer mean? Why is it called Sorcerer? This movie should not be called Sorcerer. Uh, it's, a, it's a movie that's uh, got uh, four characters from def- different parts of the world. They end up in South America taking on uh, a job that is just nearly impossible. They've got to transport some nitroglycerin to this oil fire in the middle of the jungle and they've got to do so without blowing up and the amount of tension and suspense that that freaking rings out of this one scenario is phenomenal he comes up with so many great ideas and granted this is based on a book so the the ideas are probably there the wages of fear uh is the book that it came from but 
his choices and how he films this and how he puts these scenes together is absolutely top notch. He's coming up with these great ideas and he's executing them with with this pitch perfect timing that creates so much suspense. You're, you're watching this movie through your fingers the entire time, thinking at any moment that nitroglycerin is going to explode. Uh, and and when it does, there's a moment late in the movie when it does, and it's just it's kind of emotionally devastating and also just shocking and surprising. Uh, I I'd heard great things about this movie, but it was uh, uh, Vincent Camby in the New York Times was talking about uh, the title of the movie, and he didn't like it, but he didn't like the movie. But he especially was like, people don't know what this is because of this this title, uh, the original French film was actually called The Wages of Fear, which is a phenomenal title. I mean, they couldn't possibly come up with a better title for this movie because these are guys who are you know, being paid a lot to do something that is completely terrifying. Uh, and, and, you know, I was, at times, like, I, I was amazed by how suspenseful it is, but at times I was also kind of giggling to myself over how this is probably the best episode of Ice Road Truckers in history. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's that element of how stupid that show is of those people putting themselves in ridiculously dangerous situations, and there's an element of that to this. But you, the human element, especially in Roy Scheider's performance and his you know relationship with the guy he's riding along with, uh, was really great. And then the other two guys have a very emotional connection that I appreciated. Uh, I really liked this. I was surprised how much I liked this, and I found it for free on YouTube. <laughs> Jeff. I have not seen this one. Oh, this is the one I watched this week, and I agree. It's like when you've seen a bunch of bad movies here lately, and then all of a sudden something good comes out. It reminded me of that. Just something you're not, you don't get to see every day. It's just an original idea, or even though it's a book, the book was an original idea. Uh, you just don't see movies like this that often, and I just, I, I like the realism of it. Uh, I the capturing of the tension was amazing. Uh, it was, and at the same time, I can't go and tell your average fan, movie fan to watch it because they'll probably be bored. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's, I, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's a pressure cooker. I and mean, this movie, it just, it starts after they've done the introduction, they do these four separate introductions of these characters. And that can be, a little bit confusing. You don't recognize right. these actors and not quite sure exactly where you are any, at any point in time. Uh, but once they're in the jungle, once they're going on, once you know what the stakes are and what they're, what they're trying to do, uh, the, the pressure, he begins to just turn it up and up to the point where you're gasping for air just as much as they are. Uh, and especially at the end, there's this amazing scene of Roy Scheider carrying a box of nitroglycerin, the final, you know, 50 yards. And it is, breathtaking in its how how it's shot and, and how it plays out and then of course the ending just lets yeah. all the steam out perfectly i i was i was and it's so it's so biting and so nasty and cynical at the same time because you know you're talking about these men who have have reached a point in their lives where they have no other option but to take yep. job and risk all this and no one gives a fuck about them no one cares about these people at all and if they do care, they just want to kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome, a, an incredible movie. And again, I wish I understood why it was called Sorcerer. Why did they bother with that title? They needed a better title. Agreed. What Jeff, next? you want to take on on cruising? 
Uh, yeah, Cruising is the story of Steve Burns, played by Al Pacino, directed by William Friedkin, obviously, uh, who goes undercover into the seedy uh, gay world of S&M. And, you know, he's trying to catch out, a, trying to catch a killer who is stabbing and dismembering uh, gay men in the 1970s, technically, uh, even though it came out in 1980. Um, controversial at the time uh, because it was right towards the beginning of the gay rights movement and gay rights activists didn't want any sort of, you know, like bad representations of the LGBTQ community on screen. And I, I, I grew up hearing about this movie and how, Oh, it's so terrible. It's the worst thing that ever happened to gay people. And uh, it took me a long time to see it. When I finally saw it, I was like, Oh, it's just kind of a slasher movie, but it takes place in the S and M clubs in the 1970s, New York. Um, you know, looking back and seeing, you know, one of my uh, Facebook friends just posted a takedown of it. Um, and, to a certain extent, William Friedkin for doing the movie. Um, and, but it's, it's honestly, it's one of my favorites just because it's so seedy and kind of, it tells the story of pre AIDS New York and how, even though yes, William Friedkin tried to like backtrack years later and say it was an allegory for AIDS, except AIDS wasn't really known until 1981, a year after this movie came out. Um, but that was kind of him. That was William Friedkin was that kind of, he was a fabulist. You know, he, he always yep. kind of went back and burnished his image a little bit whenever possible. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I was, you know, it was an allegory for AIDS. Uh, hey, Bill, it came out a year, a year before. I mean, I was just a visionary, you know, that's the kind <laughs> of guy he, he was. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'm going to say this again. I know I've said it before. Uh, do not listen to his his commentary tracks if you've got a Blu-ray of anything, because he starts off strong, and then about a third of the way through the movie, he just starts describing what's on screen. That's mm -hmm. incredibly boring. <laughs> he does it for. I did it for The Exorcist, and then um, there's actually if you buy the Arrow video. Uh, cruising Blu-ray, there's two commentary tracks. One is just him, and again, he starts off strong and just okay, uh, Pacino is walking down the street, and he's walking towards this this bar, and we had to go into that bar and shoot, uh, and he's walking, okay, he's walking in the door, and he's just describing what's going on the screen. Uh, but then there's another one where somebody's actually asking him questions and interviewing him through the movie that's so much better. Um but yeah, cruising it it's it's got a lot of people before they were famous. Um, it's got some great performances, you know, like uh, Gene Davis, Brad Davis's brother, who was also in Sean's favorite movie, Ten to Midnight. Uh, he plays a I don't know if if he's transgender or if he's a drag queen or if he's a transvestite, but he's a hustler on the street and. Uh, looks just like Barbara Hershey, like incredibly like Barbara Hershey with blonde hair. Um, so, yeah, it's one of my favorites of William Friedkin's career and Al Pacino's, even though 
you know, I'm not supposed to like it. So the willingness of that movie to be as grim as it is, 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 is bold in its own way. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that film. Uh, not a big fan of, of that film for a number of reasons. Not really that I can any put a finger on, but I do appreciate You're a homophobe. Like the tone, I guess, what he's the, the willingness, I guess, uh, that he has to go to places that other movies won't go to is something I can definitely appreciate about that. Um, there's a lot of 80s stuff. There's a couple 80s movies that he did. I've not seen and I don't care about. Uh, but The Guardian was certainly when we, we moved to 1990. It's a movie that I just wrote about for my for my book project horror in the 90s is a terrible film. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's so god awful. And you just kind of look at it going, this guy directed some of the, some of the most well-known and beloved films of all time. <laughs> How is that possible? Uh, this movie makes no sense whatsoever. There's a killer tree in it. And is the woman also the tree? I don't know. Yes, uh, yes she is. Yes, okay, good. It's so bad. It's just... It is truly like the it's the absolute low point. You'd think that after this, like Friedman Friedkin wouldn't be able to find a job. The Guardian is so bad. I've never seen. Yeah, that. <laughs> you're lucky. Uh, Jenny Agutter plays a nanny who is really just gathering sacrifices for herself. The tree person. I I literally have not seen it in probably twenty years. I saw it in the theater when it came out. Uh, I was in college, went to see it and was kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. And then I watched it again, probably 10, 15 years later. And I was like, Oh, huh. He directed the exorcist. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. It's impossible. Does it? That there's the same director. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hilariously bad. Like, in it is comically bad like you have to laugh at it uh and just some of the decisions that he makes it's it's truly something uh but he didn't work for a while after that and then when he did he came back and in a big big way with two really incredible films in the early 2000s that i think more people need to talk about uh, one is called the hunted with benicio del toro and tommy lee jones which is about a uh, a, a war veteran uh played by benicio del toro he was in Bosnia, he witnessed some of the worst atrocities in human history. Uh, he came back from that, uh, you know, deeply troubled and living in the forest. And he starts taking kind of his his anger and his rage out on people who harm animals. Uh, but there might be something more to that. People think he's paranoid, but they also be trying to kill him. Tommy Lee Jones is a guy who taught him to be a soldier and is called in to try and you know bring him back from wherever he is now and the film really is a non-stop chase that never lets up from beginning to end uh benicio del toro is incredible in it and there is a knife fight scene in this movie that is spectacular easily the best knife fight i've ever seen in a movie it's so incredibly well choreographed and the chemistry between del toro and tommy lee jones is off the charts i think this or the other movie i'm going to talk about is perhaps my favorite movie that william freaking ever made I haven't seen The Hunted. Yeah, same. 
Uh, the other one uh, that might be in contention for my favorite freaking movie is Bug with Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd. This is a terrifying, gross, disgusting movie. Ashley Judd plays a waitress who uh, has escaped from a, an abusive relationship, but now her abuser is out again. So it's kind of creating a, you know more emotional problems for her. Uh, she, during this time, meets a man played by Michael Shannon, who uh, is a a paranoid drug addict who's also i think he has uh, schizophrenia as well and he gets a bug bite and from there it just devolves into this conspiracy theory about bugs under your skin and then we're seeing bugs under the skin and they're cutting each other's skin to try and let the bugs out and they're in this hotel room the entire time they don't leave this hotel room they cover it in like in uh just it's all it, the hotel room is covered in blood, but it's also covered in other things that they put up to try and keep whatever it is outside from getting in. Uh, it's a, this deeply paranoid thriller that is perfectly willing to go there in terms of being gross and gory and disgusting. Uh, Ashley Judd is incredible in it. And of course, Michael Shannon, if there's anybody on the planet who's better at plumbing the depths of being super creepy, it's Michael Shannon. He just has that ability to go places that so many actors are unable to go to the point where I sometimes worry that he's never going to be able to get out of that ghetto of being a creep because he's so damn good at it. And this is, you know, one of the best performances of his career. And it just showed that even towards the end of his career, Friedkin could, could still find things. And part of the, part of the, part of the issue, part of the thing that makes it so brilliant is that it's based on a play by Tracy Letts, who's an incredible writer, who's done amazing uh, films the last few years. Uh, and, and has just just this tremendous writer who gave him this amazing script that allowed Friedkin the opportunity to visually explore the idea, whereas Letts had explored it, you know, in, in words on, and on the stage. I think that's one of the reasons that Michael Shannon is so good in it is he played the same role on stage, mm. you know, and it's just it. Plus, you. Because he played it on stage and it was shot in chronological order, he gets to play that whole, you know, metamorphosis, you know, like he did on stage in the same. Mm -hmm. So, whatever it is, it's very effective because that movie is incredible. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw it. Bugs awesome. So please uh, share your opinions been a very long time but i loved it when i saw it <laughs> uh and i don't know if i knew who william freaking was when i saw it either so that's the other or th that i knew that he directed it uh i mean a lot of the, like i didn't know he directed jade or blue chips or I, I guess what's so cool about him is that he just he wasn't afraid to fail fantastically <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's true and absolutely that, and that is actually a strength for a good artist is you know like killer joe i don't know if it's good or bad but it's it's an experience <laughs> which i think he did after uh yeah bug mm -hmm. several years also yeah. written by tracy lutz yeah i i like him as a director i like to live and die in la i like i like a lot of what he's done uh or at least I respect it. I, I, I just, I like the fact that he doesn't really care uh, if it's good or not. He just does what he wants to do. And 
Uh, I just think that's neat. Uh, he's a great interview. Like, I, probably a boring commentary track, like Jeff said, but like him and Mark Marin had a great podcast. I thought uh, several years ago. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I think he is. I think he deserves the reputation he has. Uh, even if stuff could be argued that it's overrated, I still think he's very good. I think he's incredibly talented. And like I said, uh, I was sh- shocked by both The Hunted and Bug, uh, just how great those movies were. Uh, and you know, they were not well-liked at the time. They're probably, you know, still probably a lot of people who don't remember them at all. If they do, they have a, probably a negative opinion. But trust me when I tell you, uh, both those movies ha- have a, have an intensity and and a direction that is very uh, that's forceful and exciting and uh, as good as anything, if not better than anything he'd ever done at the time. Are you positive that the knife fight was not just notes from the production company and then they just won it and nearly killed each other when they had it, and that's why it was so good? <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Just like the car chase and the French connection, but uh, <laughs> it was just real and authentic and not choreographed. I haven't seen it, so I just I I, I laughed when you said choreographed and I've seen. I'm like, great, he killed my joke. <laughs> anyway, anything else on William Friedkin before we move on? Jeff, no, any thoughts? Fine. Um, just like I said, do not watch his commentary tracks. <laughs> All right. 1993, Jason went to hell. <laughs> yeah, he did, didn't he? Oh, if only he'd never come back. Uh, no. <laughs> Je- uh, Jeff, tell us about uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Well, if you're a fan of Friday the 13th like I am, this was so anticipated. Um, Jason Goes to Hell was, quite honestly, it was a placeholder movie for Freddy versus Jason. Uh, you know, they were trying to think of things to do because Freddy versus Jason was getting so, you know, held up. Um, and that's that's why this movie and Jason X exist, basically. Um, so Jason Goes <laughs> to Hell is the story of how how Jason got to be unkillable, so to speak. Uh the beginning of the movie is set up like every other Friday the 13th movie. You've got a, a woman who is going to a remote cabin near Crystal Lake, and she does all the things that you do in a Friday the 13th movie. You go to the dark cabin. You decide, you know what? It would be perfect is to take a shower or a bath and get naked. And there's lots of little, you know, it's the, the beginning of the movie is very effective, quite honestly. Uh she does all the things that you expect. Jason finally emerges and chases her into the woods in a towel because it's a Friday the 13th movie. And she gets to a clearing. She turns around and all of a sudden all these floodlights come on and Jason is surrounded by the FBI who has actually drawn him out there to kill him once and for all. Because in this, in this movie they know that jason exists and they know he's unkillable so they shoot him a hundred times and they blow him the fuck up uh (laughs) 
there's the scene where his head, his flaming head goes flying across the screen and lands next to his still beating heart. And from there, the story jumps to Youngstown, Ohio, where the coroner then eats the heart. Why? And is, because he's, <laughs> he's drawn to the heart. He sees it and he's, the intrusive thoughts won that day and he just takes a big bite out of the heart and Jason infects him basically. Uh, from there, he makes his way back to crystal Lake because he wants to be reborn through a Voorhees woman, uh, which would be his sister who here to the hurt for has never existed. We've never heard anything about anybody, but his mother and he is going to be, Reborn through his sister, played by Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers fame. And uh, he, we meet his niece and his grandniece and the guy who's going to save them from Jason, who was also in the Friday the 13th uh, TV series, but is a completely different character. And uh, her, the his... Jason's grand or Jason's niece is going to marry the guy who runs a, I don't know, uh, like tabloid TV show. It's just, it gets very convoluted. And then Jason strips a guy, Jason is body of the coroner. <laughs> all right. All strips. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's got some great kills, um, you know, but, Boys. The William Friedkin commentary track on it's amazing, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we I, I just uh, goes to hell and uh, surf ninjas on the next issue and the next edition of the '93 podcast. So that'll be our next uh, double feature. Yeah, I was wondering what you're going to do next week because there wasn't a whole lot in surf ninjas, and I figured it was either going to be that or hard target. So I'm glad you're doing surf ninjas. I wanted, I wanted hard target. I really did because I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm any good, but I'd rather watch that. But uh, I was vetoed, so uh, Amy and MJ uh, vetoed and chose Surf Ninjas just by the title alone. I'm assuming. Uh, well, they, I think Amy just wants to make fun of Rob Schneider. I think that's really the only <laughs> motivating factor. I mean, that's not hard. <laughs> that's what I said. Uh, next let's, week. let's do a segment. Let's do a segment on the show where I describe a movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week we got Blue Beetle, Strays, and our classic is Stir of Echoes. Because we just want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Full disclosure: I watched it last week. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it recently too. I listened to the audio when I was. Yeah, it's. I spoiler love it alert! It came out. I, I got to see it in an empty theater, which for some reason made it even creepier. Uh, and I actually liked it better than Sixth Sense, which I think came out that year as well. Yeah, I've heard that they're going to be uh, joining the Criterion Collection as well. Good. I know that movie's horribly underrated. Right. And I can't remember if Kevin Bacon's penis is in it or not. It is not. Well, I mean, 
<laughs> technically, it's always in it. it is under his clothes. <laughs> I I guess the big flaws, you know, the the riffs to paint it black are pretty. It's kind of hard to not know what that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway. Uh, what do you guys want to run through flick chart? Any specific Friedkin movie? Let's uh, do cruising. <laughs> okay. I don't think it'll get very far, but sure. <laughs> well, we can do that, and then we can do uh, the French Connection. Works for me. Cruising, Father of the Bride, Part Two. Cruising. Cruising. Agreed. Cruising the Boston Strangler. Cruising. Cruising. Cruising Shang-Chi, the Legend of Ten Rings. Shang-Chi. I'm going to say cruising. Just I'm just going to always say cruising. I'm hoping that the poster that I designed that is on uh, IMDb, I'm hoping that that uh, comes up as one of the posters. <laughs> All right, I have to flip for it because I have not seen Shang-Chi. And Cruising Winds. Yeah. Cruising Ooh. Insomnia. Al Pacino Insomnia. versus Al Pacino. I'm going to, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm going to go with Cruising just because. I'll go Insomnia. I'm an easy lay for that movie. I'll go Insomnia. Cruising Master and Commander. Master and Commander. Cruising. I hate Master and Commander. Really? I just could not get into it i tried watching it one night and i just really could not get into it what if a bunch of the guys on the ship got you know set on fire okay <laughs> i'll go master if they were commander. like vampires yeah they explode like vampires. <gasps> oh my god cruising asked for this cruising oh I okay. I'm gonna say cruising. Although tourist trap is, it has it's steadily becoming one of my favorites. But cruising, yes, cruising. I have a I have a 40 inch by 60 inch cruising poster from Italy hanging in my bedroom. So I don't have a tourist trap poster. Although that's what I gotta get. Cruising, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, yes. I know what you're picking, so go ahead and pick it. I'm going to pick Cruising. Uh, cruising Shrek Forever After. Cruising. cruising. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Cruising Ghostbusters 2. Uh, cruising. What'd you say, Sean? Sorry, you cut out for a second. I'm a big fan of Ghostbusters 2, but I would rather watch it. Nothing against Cruising. I think Cruising is very grim, and I, I'm often not in the mood for grim. Yeah, I'm picking cruising. It was far less grim, I would say. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> I feel bad, but it's Ghostbusters too. I think cruising's probably a better movie, but uh, cruising the Terminator. Terminator. It's a toss-up. So you pick Bob. I'm gonna. I'll go the. Terminator. I like cruising better, but. Terminator is always fun to watch. I'll go the Terminator. Cruising the Manchurian Candidate. Um, cruising? Yeah. I, I tried to watch the Manchurian Candidate. I, I watched it. 
but it was aside from Angela Lansbury in it, I was not super into it. I I don't find Sinatra to be that great an actor. I no. know I'm not allowed to say that because uh, a bunch of boomers will get mad at me. But <laughs> <laughs> he's he, you know he's a wonderful singer. <laughs> How dare you say that about the chairman? But I don't, I don't think he's a very good actor. <laughs> All right, let's bury the French connection. Yeah. Oh, it's already 1392 on our list. Uh, the French connection, Father of the Bride, Part 2. Is this going to go up against everything that Cruising went up against? Yep. <laughs> uh, well, out of these two, I'm going to pick French connection. As will I. I don't care what Sean says. Uh, the French connection, the Brady Bunch movie. Brady Bunch Brady movie. Bunch movie. Fuck both of you guys. Uh, French Connection Shaft <laughs> 2000. French Connection, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. French Connection Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. Bridget Jones. Yeah. If it was the first Bridget Jones, I'd go, but I'll do French Connection. Suck French, it, Lord. French <laughs> Connection Ordinary Peeper, People. <laughs> <laughs> Ordinary Peeper. Talk about your all-time overrated movies. Um, uh, I don't. They're both. I'm gonna pick. Or, I would rather. I would probably rather watch Mary Tyler Moore and Donald Sutherland yeah. act than watch The French Connection again. Yeah. Right. Acting. Acting. I'll go, I'll go French Connection. French Connection. Constantine. Constantine. Yeah. French Connection, the Jewel of the Nile. Jewel of the Nile. Jewel of the Nile. I'll go French Connection again. French Connection, <laughs> the blind side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stop listening to us, AI. Right? <laughs> um, blind side, because I think Sandra Bullock's really great in it. Even though it's a yeah. terrible lie of a story I go to French Connection because the car chasing wasn't a lie and they nearly killed people <laughs> uh, French Connection the hurricane 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 agreed French Connection Arlington Road Arlington Road yeah I I, I didn't see Arlington Road so if you guys have seen it and liked it go ahead and pick that I think it's pretty underrated a French Connection, The Basic Instinct. Fishing with Gandhi. <laughs> is that the original Basic Instinct? Yes, 1992. Yeah, I'm going to pick that. That movie is so cheesy and sleazy. I love watching it. Flip a fucking coin for all I care. Because of Sharon Stone. French Connection won the coin flip. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 1,066. All right, let's see how The Exorcist does. At least I have an ally this time. <laughs> Not looking forward to that sequel by David Gordon Green, though. Not at all. Uh, no, that looks why? terrible. Exorcist, Father of the Bride, Part 2. The Exorcist. Oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Fuck you, Sean. <laughs> The Exorcist or the Brady Bunch movie? I'm not kidding about this one. Brady Bunch. The Exorcist. By a lot. Exorcist, Lost Highway. Lost Highway. 
Uh, it's still the Exorcist. I lost how it kind of sucks. Exorcist Insomnia. Insomnia. <laughs> still the Exorcist. I'm on the Exorcist. Ooh, Exorcist or The Shining. The Shining. Um, I think I'm going to go The Exorcist. I like them both a lot, but... So now Jeff has yeah, to choose. I, no, I'm going to say The Exorcist. Um, yeah, The Exorcist. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to explain myself. Two all-time <laughs> classics. Exorcist, Rocky Three. Rocky Three. Exorcist. Exorcist. <laughs> My God, Sean, you really hate this movie. The Exorcist, Dracula, 1931. Oh. Dracula all the way. I will say Dracula on this one. I'll still say Exorcist just to give it a vote, but they're both classics. Burn After Reading, The Exorcist. Burn After Reading. I'm going to pick The Exorcist because I, I, I will watch that again. I liked Burn After Reading, but I don't need to see it again. I agree. I really do think The Exorcist is an all-time classic. I do too. Uh, Exorcist, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. Exorcist. Agreed. Love Donnie Darko. The Exorcist. Exorcist, 12 Years a Slave. How is that number 25 of our all-time list? 12 Years years a Slave. You know, you talk about grim movies. Mm. I can't watch watch 12 Years a Slave again. I hear you. I will watch The Exorcist once a year. I will watch her stick that crucifix where the sun doesn't shine. Well, isn't that the movie where Brad Pitt comes out and saves the day? <laughs> the producer of the film? If I, I basically recall that it being exactly what the story was. Uh, well, I know, but he was a producer and he's, he pops up at the end <laughs> as a good guy. That uh, took me out of it a little bit. The Exorcist, A Star is Born, 2018. A Star is Born. Exorcist. That is harder <laughs> for me. Uh, but I still think I'll take The Exorcist. I love A Star is Born, though. Number 23 against <laughs> Sean's Wishes. Uh, since Jeff hasn't seen The Sorcerer, should we not do that one, or do you want to run yeah, it? Yeah, anyway? we'll just leave Sorcerer off until... I'll watch it, and we can do it some other time. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Should we do Jaws 2 again? Nope. <laughs> have, have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Bye.